0: It seems that a lot of people are talking about how stressed they are, and I have no doubt that's true. There are a lot of things that can lead to stress if we let them have that influence in our lives. And there are sometimes things that we can't control, things that we have responsibility for that are going to bring stress into our lives. But as leaders, it's important for us to be able to manage that stress so that we can lead effectively without that stress detracting from our leadership and from our teams. Our guest today knows a little bit about leadership after being an army officer who was deployed in Afghanistan and Iraq with the 82nd Airborne Division. As a military leader, he learned valuable leadership lessons, particularly related to those high stress situations. And after leaving the military, he joined a Fortune 100 company and led multiple teams that he oversaw to success. He's the author of a book called Keep on Leading, which is for leaders and particularly leaders who lead other leaders. And the book is focused on two things this podcast likes, learning and taking action. Now he's looking to share the lessons he has learned to improve the American workplace. Here is Luis Fernandez. Luis, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Joshua. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. So I like to start off every
0: interview that we do with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some valuable insight for our own leadership lives. So you ready for this? I'm ready. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day?
1: Early on in my military career, especially being an infantryman, so you're on the ground getting close combat with the enemy. I learned that um, you cannot fight that fight alone. And um, maybe we'll get into them, but, uh, you know, different times where we were often, well, we were always outnumbered, uh, oftentimes surrounded, and having the the group of people that believe in each other and having that complete trust in the guy next to you that that, you know, you literally... Handing them your life and saying, take care of this for me. And you're doing that for each other. And so building that, that kind of relationship in, in leadership is absolutely critical to achieve success.
0: Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is...
1: A leader is humble. A leader is empathetic and trustworthy. You can be a humble person and and care about people, but uh, if you don't follow through and execute and you can't be trusted, uh, you know, or, or you're not willing to have those hard conversations, you know, those three things kind of fall hand in hand. If you've got those figured out, a lot of the other stuff falls into place.
0: What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others?
1: How can I help you? Absolutely. Always is, is, you know, your job as a leader is to make sure that everybody else can do their jobs, right? So uh, the the organizational structure is set up just so that we remove barriers and and we remove uh, obstacles and and make it easier for people to to be able to execute. And so, you know, how can I help you is, is always at the forefront of my mind. What can I do for everybody else? What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Probably Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and, and Leif Babin, I, I think, is a very good book, particularly if you're interested in military stories. I really like the idea of having that, you know, when, when things go wrong, it's, it's my fault. And, and you know, kind of taking that internal look on, you know, how can I be better and what can I do and, and, and owning the situation. And I think that's really valuable.
0: If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader... What would that thing be?
1: Okay, so if we're gonna go with just at, well, let, let's, let's, one is a mindset thing, and then I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say two. And the, the second is an action thing. So, mindset is to understand that your job is to support the other people. So, um, you're not better than anyone else, and, and they're not there to serve you, you are there to serve them. And having that mindset is, is the right way to approach conversations and all that. Uh, you kind of, if you're, if you're a good leader, you see yourself as the low man on the totem pole, not, not the high man on the totem pole. So that's kind of approaching that. Cause there's a lot of things that are going to happen that we can't really, um, eh, predict and, and conversations that you're just not going to see coming. But if you have the right mindset, when those oddball conversations come, you can handle them a lot better. And, and the second one, like an action, like something that you can easily do today is set up one on one conversations with all your direct reports. Uh, and, and do that, uh, on a monthly basis. And and we could talk about, you know, what a one-on-one specifically should be. And it's not like a task dump or anything like that, but really getting, it's kind of like a short one-on-one survey on, on the health of the organization. And if you're doing that once a month with all your direct reports, you're going to have a much clearer picture of what's really going on inside your organization.
0: And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this: As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not?
1: I'm gonna go with why not, and and I'm gonna use that term in two different ways. So uh, why not? Like why not? Let's do this. Why not? You know, like uh, when when you know you were 18 and your buddies had a crazy idea, and you're like, yeah, why not? Let's go. But then also, um, one of the things I like to do with with. My leadership team is when I have an idea is to ask them, why shouldn't we do this? And to me, what it does is it helps like, where, where can I go wrong? Where can this go wrong? What are the issues that you see here? So we can hash those things out and get into those details of what, what maybe I have missed. Um, but forcing that conflict a little bit inside of a conversation, you know, I don't want you to tell me that I have a good idea. I already think it's a good idea. That's what I'm telling you. I want to know why we shouldn't. And then, and then we can address those problems. So that's kind of, I'm using the term in two different ways and maybe that's a a cheat answer.
0: Hey, I think it's good. You know, I don't mind getting extra bonus insight from the leaders we have on this podcast. Now, Lewis, we are here. We could take this conversation a number of different directions, but what (laughs) I want to start off with, because of of your vast experience, you've had experience in the military, you've had experience in the private sector. What I want to start off with, though, is hearing about your book, Keep On Leading. What led you to write this book?
1: My original intent when it began was sort of a blog type, like how do I, I'm trying to train my own teams and my, my own subordinate leaders. You know, I've found that people learn better with small parceled, uh, information that I can give in, in, in chunks. And I started kind of working out like, what does a leader mean to me and how does that work? And how do I, how do I create something that is an effective tool to actually train leaders? Not, you know, the, I've been in the workforce now for close to two decades and I've been through, and I've always been in a leadership role. So I've always, I've seen all manner of leadership training and it's these two to three, five day seminars and you get, you know, a conversation flow meter, some sort of uh, personality assessment, whatever it may be. And you're kind of, we're trying to give these, these leaders that are being trained this idea that, You know, people can be predicted, and and you know, events can be predicted. And if you just follow this flow, you like that. That's that's not reality, and reality is a lot more complicated. And what can I control? I can control myself, my attitude, my mindset, and my approach. At the same time, when I look at other leadership books, they like to move to how do we move groups of people to things. But before you can move a team. an action to set a team goal to move to that you have to first lead yourself um and and have that self-discipline and care and the mindset and all that stuff then you need to understand the the individuals inside of that team and what drives them what motivates them what makes them take whatever and then once you've got that then you can move the whole team to action and um so that's why the book is is set up in that way is is you know you've got keep on leading yourself, then keep on leading people and then keep on leading teams. And, and that's kind of how it sort of developed into that. And because I wanted to use it as a tool to, to do training, to do like group book studies, it's set up so that, you know, a busy professional who's already got a full plate can read a chapter in like an hour or less and have an action that they can take immediately. That's based on that information. So I'll tell you like, you know, this is We're going to do this. This is why you should do it. Here's an example of how it worked. And here's how you can, an act that you need to take today to execute on that. And when you, if you use this as a group book study where we're all together and we're all having this conversation and all of my eight direct report leaders, have all read this chapter and we get down and we say, okay, here's the actions we're going to take this week. You know, so you are actually moving the team in a certain direction together uh, at a time. And so- that's, that was kind of my, my intent and it just sort of developed and, and I let it go, you know, like, okay, we're, we're, it's, it's moving, it's growing and, uh, I'm not going to fight it. You know, it just felt right. And, and I kept going.
0: So one of the things you just seem to suggest is that this would be a book that would be helpful for leaders to take their teams through together. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you're a leader of other leaders and you want to move the whole organization a certain direction, uh, this is a great way to get everybody together, go through it together And then your whole organization is taking actions every week and moving in a certain direction. And
0: the reason that I asked that question is because right now on Amazon, if you were to go and purchase your book, then it's fairly affordable. So it's not like it would be that hard to get a copy for each member of your team. So it's something worth thinking about for leaders of teams. If you want to take your team through a book together, then this is something that is focused on three different areas leading yourself leading people and leading teams and it includes action steps at the end of every chapter so lewis what would be an example of one of those action steps
1: there are things like uh schedule one-on-ones there's others that are like what are some things that you're maybe you're cutting corners on or or that you don't want to do or you know so uh, identify those things and then take action on that you know set crazy goals not not you know the not smart goals, and there's a whole thing on that why you shouldn't do smart goals and set crazy uh goals instead, so there's a thing of like, okay, now I'll go and set some some goals based on that each one of them is designed that way, so there's lots of lots of great activities uh to be done in there, so that's the
0: second time you mentioned one on ones Any guidance for leaders who like that idea, but it also feels like it's a little bit excessive
1: excessive um well. Huh? I know that, and, and the experience I've had with with my own teams, you know, that haven't been doing them, and then I say, okay, this is something you're going to do now. Is the the first of uh, I don't have time. Oh, I don't I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. And I and I tell my guys th- they're not allowed to tell me that they don't have time because that the reality is that it's not a priority. Um, I don't have time to hang up this conversation and go to the hospital right now. But if my phone rang and someone I love was in the hospital, this conversation would be cut pretty short, right? It all of a sudden became a priority for me. And so it's a matter of what we set as our priorities. Now, so the question would be, why should I set it a priority? I guess is the the, the follow-up to that. And it's, if you do a sidebar conversation while somebody's working in Uh, open area where other people are listening? And, you know, how are things going? How often does a leader come up and say, how's it going? It's going great. Okay, good. And then you walk off, but is it really going great? I work for someone who said, you know, um, everyone has a sign, something that they're struggling with, something that is, is holding them down. Every one of us does. And if you could see that sign, how would you relate to somebody differently? You're, you're driving down the road and somebody flips you off. And you want to get angry and then start thinking what experience is that person having in their life today that is pushing them to drive erratically and take additional risks and feel like they had to find somebody to take their aggression out on. And if we could look at that person and see, oh, you know, she just found out that she's been diagnosed with cancer. Like how much more gracious would we be with somebody else if we knew that?
0: Now, you mentioned that some of the stories and illustrations in your book – are from your time in the military. And when I think about the military, I think about a place where leaders are developed. And I'm curious to know from you, did you find that to be true for your own life? Was that a place where your leadership development really kicked off? Or did it just help to strengthen what had already begun for you?
1: I I think for me, it's the latter. But that's me personally. When I finally, I went into the military after college. I was uh, 20. Well, I was a 21 year old second lieutenant, but my my first platoon, I was I had already had my 22nd birthday, and by that time, I just had kind of a natural propensity towards leadership. I I enjoyed those positions from, shoot, when I was in elementary school, I was already you know the the, the one that the take charge kind of guy, and and let's you know let's do this together, and and that was just kind of what I liked and and what I was good at, you know, it's kind of like, um, I'm sure if you talk to Peyton Manning about, you know, learning football and and he would probably tell you from a young age, he knew he wanted to be a quarterback. And, but as, as he got to different levels of, of football, there was more training and he got better at, at his craft to being, you know, where he is now. And I, and I feel like for me, the military was that NFL type test early on and, you know, meeting that uh, extreme challenge of high intensity events really took my—if you could continue the analogy here—my my leadership game to the next level.
0: What were some of those high intensity or high stress situations that really helped to clarify leadership lessons and leadership concepts for you?
1: Uh, well. Uh, so I just had like seven stories go through my mind here. So uh, I'll give an example of, of one thing kind of early on. We were up in the, in the mountains of Afghanistan, and we had just been where we had recently been rocketed from this hilltop. It was about 10,000 feet in, in elevation. It had really good visibility. It was excellent terrain for the enemy right on the Pakistani-Afghan uh, border. And our mission was to essentially, so they they rocketed us, we returned fire with our own artillery and our job was to go up there and do what's called a battle damage assessment. So you want to see, you know, how effective were your artillery strikes and and what can we gather from that site afterwards. So we we get up to the mountain, uh, park our trucks at about 9,000 feet or so. There was kind of a a trail that you could drive on that got you pretty high up. And then, um, and then we started walking and, and kind of clearing the terrain, looking for any evidence of our artillery strike. And as we were doing that, uh, kind of walking along the border, following this path that it, it appeared the, the enemy had kind of run down. We look up and saw a group of guys coming our way and, and, uh, in the book, this is the the introduction. So I, I saw they were probably about a maybe a little less maybe fifty maybe seventy five yards away. What we saw was five guys. They were walking in a formation, a military type formation, and they had some military gear and AK forty sevens. And it was pretty clear that this was not a local farmer and. Based on the fact that we had just seen enemy in this area, I I made the assessment and and they also kind of had ragtag uniforms that it wasn't Pakistani military. So we were looking at likely the same force that had attacked us the day prior. So quietly, I try and start setting my team up to do, uh, conduct a hasty ambush. And I'm trying to get these guys online. And while I'm doing this, all hand and arm signals, uh, no, no verbal you know, you think of a, a third world country in the mountaintops, there's, there's not very much sound. It's pretty quiet and sound travels well. And while I'm doing this, one of the interpreters that was with us, a local uh, Afghan guy, he pulled the charging handle back on his AK-47 and released it. And what that does is creates a large, loud, metal clanking sound. And it's, it's obvious that it is a round being put into the chamber. So, you know, we're, we're kind of quiet trying to get this thing. And then you hear this sh- sh- kink and I look back and his eyes were big and wide. I, I don't think he realized just how loud it was going to be. And then I look across and these guys spot us. And as he spots us, he, he raises his weapon to shoot. And my squad leader that was with me asks, can I shoot? So I said, yes and he fired around it hit the first guy he went down then a second round from my group went hit another guy and he went down and then the world just erupted it wasn't five guys it was somewhere in the order of 30 or 25 guys that were there and i had a team of 9 with me and so we're in Terrain that we are not familiar with at an elevation that we're not used to operating in with heavy equipment. Uh, And at that point in our deployment, we were still, we were wearing the full body armor. So we were just really, really slow. And so anyway, so the, the firefight starts and the volume of fire, typically what you'll see is, is a heavy volume of fire in the beginning. And this is kind of both teams, trying to gain superiority of fire. You're trying to put the heads down of the other team so that you can maneuver on them and, and kind of win the fight. But what we realized quickly was that the volume of fire just continued to increase from the enemy side. And um, at some point, and and we were actually having a discussion about this right around the time that this happened, we had crossed the border into Pakistan, and that was against our rules of engagement. So we, I had actually told my guys, like, we need to get back on the and if, by I mean like maybe thirty feet or something, but technically our grid coordinate was in Pakistan. I mean we were just on the other side of the border, but it was something that we needed to correct. So um, we can't get into a firefight in Pakistan. We gotta we gotta get out back into Afghanistan and then we can continue the fight. So we're trying to maneuver ourselves back up the mountain because that was the only way we could go. So we're we're trying to climb. And return fire and then make sure that, you know, we're protecting our own position. And uh, so we have this thing we call the break contact battle drill. And and what you do is you have one team, they're putting down fire, they're shooting, and then the other team is moving and and they move for a few seconds and then they get down and they shoot and then the other team gets up and moves. Uh, And we have kind of a funny saying in the army of, of this buddy rush is what it's called. You say, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down. And that's about how much time you go in between bounds. So that's that's the principle is I'm up, he sees me, I'm down. And then you start shooting and the other guy gets up and goes, you know. Um, so I'm doing that with my, my nine guys. We're kind of trying to maneuver backwards. And the only way we can go is uphill. And there was no real cover. So we have what we call cover and concealment. Cover is stuff that stops bullets, rocks, and trees. And concealment is stuff that, hides you visibly, but doesn't stop a bullet like a bush or a leaf, you know, stuff like that. That may make you hard to see, but the bullet will go straight through that. So there's not a lot of cover where we were. And so you're trying to hug the ground, put these fires down, and then at the same time it's my job at the leaders, I'm trying to maneuver these guys. I'm also trying to get support from our different assets. I'm trying to get artillery. I'm trying to get air support, all of these things that will increase my Effectiveness on the battlefield, and we lost radio communications. I could see the base; we were so high up. I could see the base that I needed to talk to, but for some reason, my my transmissions weren't coming through. And so, as we're bounding backwards, you know, my goal was okay. Well, if I can't get radio communications in our vehicles, we have uh, power amps and and larger antennas that I can use, and that will kind of pretty much guarantee my radio comms. So we're trying to fight our way back to the vehicles. But as we're doing that, I said we're really slow. The enemy has now maneuvered almost entirely around us. They are shooting from my left, from my right, from in front. There's grenades coming down uh, on our location. The The rounds are zinging and pinging everywhere. And one of my guys got hit. They were also using armor-piercing rounds. And what it looks like he got hit by was a, a, the armor piercing round has kind of like a core in it. And it looks like the core of this armor piercing round. So like the, the round must've hit a rock or something. The core continued traveling and it came in, in the back of his cheek right around the jaw bone. And it came out the front of his cheek, just underneath, you know, underneath his eyes. He was so incredibly lucky. It missed his jaw. It missed all his teeth. It didn't hit any bone but it made, you know, a decent sized hole in his cheek. And he was, I mean, he was bleeding profusely, but I didn't have a medic with me either. Uh, the medic was back with the vehicles. And so literally everything that could go wrong did. I was surrounded. I was outnumbered. I didn't have any radio communications and I had now a casualty and, and no medic. And at this point, it's, it's kind of singular focus to get back to our vehicles. I've got a machine gun on my truck. I've got radio on my truck and I've got medic back there too. And the, the intensity of that fight, and it lasted a while. It was a solid 45 minutes to an hour. It's hard to tell, you know, the, the time is perceived differently when you're in these kind of high stress legitimately when people talk about it feels like time slows down you just your your brain processes information faster somehow or something but you can see things that normally you wouldn't notice like a rocket you can see it coming and it almost feels like i can adjust i can dodge this rocket so we essentially just fought our ways back to the truck and then reset We we had by that point run out of ammunition and and it was the first time I got communication back with my superiors and, you know, let them know what was going on and started getting the support back by then. And at this point uh, when we finally got back there, the, the enemy, we had essentially broken their will to fight. We found out afterwards that day we took out nine guys of their element and I didn't lose anyone. So if you think if they had, you know, 25 to 30 guys between, Thirty and forty percent of their of their element was casualties. I think they just decided to to back off that day. So, you know, I think your original question was an example of of that high stress uh, leadership type situation where everything goes wrong and, and you're put to the test of what are you going to do, and you have to make decisions in a very very short amount of time. That in this particular case, you know, they're the, life and death type uh, choices. So, I guess like after that, you know, most most things are like, well, this, this isn't that big of a deal. You know, we can handle this. We can we can deal with this type of situation. And yeah, and that's how I introduced the book is is with that story, kind of a more detailed version of it, though.
0: So, as you're telling that story, it's clear that the stakes are really high there, and you just kind of alluded to this when you get into other situations where the stakes aren't as high. How do you keep that focus and how how do you keep that mentality in your leadership to keep on leading when the stakes don't feel like they are as high
1: I think for me is is that uh what it does is it gives me peace of mind and I'm I'm much more cool calm and relaxed and so I feel like my you know the the priority of executing is is still there but the the stress of making the decision is is kind of degraded a little bit in my mind. Some of the techniques that I talk about where things like staying physically fit helps you stay mentally strong, you know, keep your cognitive ability high, reduce the number of decisions that you have to make, delegate when you can, being being in a strong financial personal financial position, all of these things are are ways to reduce the compounding stress that happens when inevitably it feels like everything goes wrong. And so if you can limit the number of other things that are going to hit you in your life and, and kind of focus in on the task at hand and, and then, you know, keep your, your decision-making muscle strong, I, I think, you know, that, that sets us up for success. So I don't, I don't know that I look at situations and I'm like, well, this is no big deal cause it still is. Um, it's just, it's, it's not something that my, you know, if bullets aren't flying and people aren't dying, my heart rate isn't getting up, but I am still task focused.
0: Well, Lewis, thank you for your time today. Before we finish this interview, I'd love to see if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us or things you'd like to reiterate from the time we've had together today.
1: I would say that the, the most important thing as a leader is having the right attitude and, and, and mental state because, like I said, you just never know what you're going to run into. And you've got to see yourself as the servant of the group, as, as the, the, the low man on the totem pole, which I talked about earlier, and be there for your team. Figure out what do they need? What can I do for you? How can I help you? and making that your priority because you're going to run into a situation that you know someone's gonna talk to you and, and the best way to avoid saying the wrong thing is to approach every situation the right way.
0: Well, Lewis, if people have enjoyed what they've heard from you today, where can they go to find your book and find more about the work that you do?
1: Uh, so Keep On Leading is on Amazon uh, and you can pick it up there. My, my social media home is LinkedIn. Uh, Louis J. Fernandez, and then my website is uh, LouisJFernandez.com. Those are really the best places to find me on a a regular.
0: All right. Well, Louis, thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Josh. First of all, I've got to give a shout out to Louis for sticking it out with this episode. I don't know if you noticed, but I actually had to splice the recordings of two different days together because the first day of recording, we had an issue. We were 18 minutes into an amazing conversation, and then the connection went out entirely. So we had to schedule another time and finish the conversation. So I don't know if that came through at all in today's interview, but shout out to him for being committed to making this episode happen because I think there are a lot of valuable insights. And I really appreciated him sharing that combat story with us because it gives us an idea of what it looks like to be a leader in action. There are a lot of calls that you have to make at times without having all the information, without having an optimal scenario, but you still have to keep on leading. Now let's get to the three takeaways that I have from today's interview. The first is before you can effectively move a team to action, you have to first lead yourself and then understand the individuals inside the team. And this encapsulates the three different sections of Lewis's book. First of all, lead yourself, then lead people, then lead teams. The second takeaway is to have the right attitude and mental state And Lewis said that part of this means seeing yourself as the servant and figuring out what your team needs. Sometimes when we think of the right attitude and mental state, we're not thinking about that. I really liked Lewis's emphasis on being a servant and figuring out how to help those on your team succeed. And the final takeaway, this came at the very end, but Lewis said the best way to avoid saying the wrong thing is to approach every situation the right way. Once again, the best way to avoid saying the wrong thing is to approach every situation the right way. That's an incredibly broad statement, but I love that idea, and I think that if you take that idea with you moving forward, you are going to be better served as a leader because of it. Now, later in the week, we're going to be hearing from the CEO of an organization focused on reputation management and crisis communication. And if you think that you'll never need either of those in your life, either for yourself, your organization, or your team, you're probably wrong. So you're going to want to make sure that you hear the episode later this week. I think it's going to be valuable to help you create a little bit of a new mindset for your leadership. So I hope to see you then. And until then, keep living and leading well. or entrepreneur who's using bitcoin the hardest money on planet earth to improve their life and their business so what's with the name well it's a play on the term hyper bitcoinization which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it when you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million bitcoin that will ever exist it feels like only a matter of time until hyper bitcoinization happens